Donald Trump's rivals try to shift the focus in Atlanta. We do not need to get distracted. We need to stay focused on beating Joe Biden well in 2024. Welcome to a special edition of the new Politically Georgia podcast from the AJC. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, we are fresh out of two days straight of the gathering, the Republican convention here in Atlanta and Buckhead. And we heard from six presidential contenders, not named Donald Trump. We heard from several governors, several U.S. senators. It was a whirlwind that, that just so happened to be scheduled a few days after Donald Trump faced indictments in Fulton County. Yes, we had a full immersion experience in the alternative world of the GOP that did not include Donald Trump. In fact, Eric Erickson said the one word he didn't want to say all weekend was Donald Trump. Did he get there? I feel like he did not ever say Donald Trump. No, he got there pretty quickly. (laughs) I don't think he said Trump, but he, within a few minutes of Governor Kemp taking the stage with him in a conversation, he immediately asked about the indictments and about some of the criminal charges. So if he, he got there in a roundabout way. Yes, but I never did hear the word Trump. You're so right. so a victory on half of that front. But Trump loomed large over the entire convention, which we're going to talk about after a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia, event organizer Eric Erickson did not want to dwell too much on Donald Trump, but it was impossible to ignore the former president, especially coming days after a sprawling, sprawling is a good word for it, sprawling indictment uh, against him and 18 other co-defendants that alleged them to be part of a criminal enterprise that stretched from the halls of the state capitol all the way down to a squat elections office building in rural Coffee County. Yes, it's not possible to ignore Donald Trump in 2023 or 2024. Um, But I do think it's wise for Republicans to start to think about a plan B. For one thing, um, Donald Trump's going to be real busy over the next multiple months while he's running for election and dealing with these indictments. But also there is a growing fatigue within the GOP. I'm not saying it's a majority of the GOP, but you can just feel it's like adding a pebble 
every day onto these GOP voters to say, here's another indictment and another indictment and another problem and another thing that guy shouldn't have said. Um, You can just feel it's weighing down on some of these voters. So they are looking for an alternative to Donald Trump. There are also plenty of Republicans who never wanted to vote for Donald Trump in the first place. So they're looking for somebody else to start to consider. And Erickson put together an event that I think was very important in the way that other than knowing these people's names and the tippy tops of their biographies, like here's a governor, here's a millionaire. Um, They don't know much else about them. They've never heard Chris Christie talk about military readiness. They've never heard Vivek Ramaswamy's voice, but he's polling number two in this field right now in some polls. So it's super important to start to flesh this out a little bit to give GOP voters an actual choice if they want one. And um, I think it was an effective event in that way. And we heard a lot of new information from a lot of these candidates. Yeah, Patricia, as you mentioned, Eric Erickson, our our friend over at WSB, a nationally syndicated uh, commentator and radio show host, he was able to drill down to the issues with these candidates sitting with them for 45 minutes in what he wanted to be a Trump free zone. Uh, so they were able to talk about their policies and, and proposals and agenda items. Um, at the same time, the attendees of this conference who were, this was not a hotbed of, of pro Trump loyalists, right? As we mentioned before, but they were also given a sobering reminder of the former president's strength. There was a segment of the show on, on Saturday where a Brian Kemp pollster, uh, for signal firm, com- a, f- a poll commissioned by Brian Kemp's PAC came out with its results for Georgia Republican primary voters that showed Donald Trump at 53% of the vote. It's 53. And one of the things that the pollster said was, look, Ron DeSantis had his chance. He, he, he came in a little too late to have the impact that, that he wanted to have. It's not too late, of course, but made the race look like sort of a runaway train in a sense and said that, poll numbers really started to shift when these indictments started being handed up. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that fatigue is showing up in this polling. And above and beyond any GOP voters' fatigue, there is this concern that what if this guy really can't win? Uh, Guess what? He didn't win the last time around. What has he done since then to win the next time around? That's not been fully fleshed out yet. But um, these are realistic voters. They want to win. They are so sick and tired of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They want a different person in the White House. And so if it can't be their favorite person, could it be their second favorite person? But what we saw in that polling was, it's almost like if you get your dream car when you're 16, but then you realize it it's not going to get you to school. It's like too old to get <laughs> you to school. Uh, you you got to make another choice, something that's a little more realistic. Maybe go for the Honda instead of the old Porsche. Um, but they've got, you could just feel there's a, a churn in there. But again, this was not a MAGA crowd. There was not a single, it's the first Republican event I've been into in eight years, there was not a MAGA hat around. Yeah, not it, There was not a bit of that bright red. There were no Donald Trump signs sort of flagging in front of the other candidates just trying to make their point. And um, even though the candidates were not asked about Donald Trump, plenty of them wanted to talk to Donald Trump. So we did get gaggles with a number of candidates who came out, knew they would ask about Donald Trump, and they were ready to go. Well, let's dive right into that because the fir- one of the first speakers was a was a Republican politician who's not going to be on the 2024 ballot. I know there's some speculation that he might join the race, but it ain't happening. It's Governor Brian Kemp. He kind of laid out his vision for 
what he hopes Republicans focus on in the future. And it does not include obsession with 2020 election results. If we are looking in the rearview mirror, and this is what my message has been to every candidate in, in the race, including former <laughs> President Trump. And I first said this in Nashville at the RNC donor retreat, is we have to be focused on the future, not something that happened three years ago. We don't need to be focusing on stupid things that aren't going to happen before this election. We could deal with that later after we win. We have to tell people what we are for. And then we have to have a candidate that can win the election. Patricia, Governor Kemp also brought with him a handheld prop, a pencil. He said that Joe Biden is pencil whipping Americans with control of the regulatory system. And the only way for Republicans to fix that is to win the election so they can go and erase it. Uh, To me, Governor Kemp is trying to strike this balance, trying to thread this needle, because even as he's encouraging Republicans to move forward, he also knows that Donald Trump has a 20 plus point lead in most of these public polls. And his hand has only gotten stronger in a sense since these indictments were handed up all over the country, Georgia being at the latest, but four different jurisdictions, 90 plus charges that carry significant prison sentences. And so Brian Kemp with his own eye on a future potential run for Senate or whatever down the line, he's saying he'll also support whoever the nominee is, even if it's Donald Trump. Yeah. And it's that um, electability argument, though, that he layered in there as well when he said we cannot pick a candidate who can't win in 2024. I've actually never heard the term pencil whipping. I'm not sure that that really backs this. I don't think he had either before he, he came up with it. I don't know what he's talking about. But the eraser is a good analogy. I think that really worked in the room. But Kemp is one of the very few Republicans in this country who knows how it's done. And later on, and we're going to get to Governor Glenn Youngkin from Virginia, but he said that in 2022, Brian Kemp um, wrote the first edition of the playbook of how Republicans are going to win in the future and that he, Glenn Youngkin, wants to use that in Virginia, do a second edition to win in, in a place like Virginia for Republicans. But everybody in that entire room was listening to Kemp um, and they he is one of those candidates who you can like Trump and like Kemp at the same time. He wants to get those voters to like him, even maybe like Trump, but you got to move on. Yeah. And before I move on from Governor Kemp, one more point about him. There's a lot of talk about him being the break of the emergency glass type of candidate. Uh, there was reports all over uh, the internet uh, leading up to this convention about how GOP donors are still trying to recruit Kemp and Youngkin and whoever else to run as late-stage entries, which is not going to happen, at least on the Governor Kemp side, um, from all of our understanding of where his allies and advocates stand. Um, but to me, this convention for Governor Kemp doubled as a sweepstakes, in a sense, for his endorsement. I mean, he co-sponsored the event. He had a prime speaking slot, two prime speaking slots. Uh, He spent $100,000 of his campaign contributions to help put the event on. And he was not on stage the whole time, but he felt like he was center stage a decent amount of the time. One candidate after another praised him from the stage. And he had private meetings with three of them while, while they were here with Governor DeSantis, Governor Christie, and and former Vice President Mike Pence, all who met with him behind closed doors. And Chris Christie was very open about it. He was saying, I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was trying to get Brian Kemp's endorsement. I haven't earned it yet, but I'm trying to get his endorsement. So this, the sweepstakes for Kemp endorsement, which probably won't come until 2024, 
but it's on. Yeah, and it was very clear that those candidates had come, some of them came across the country. Many had events where they had been in a different state this morning, came to Georgia for the afternoon, and then had to fly out immediately. I mean, this was not on the way anywhere for anybody who's running for president, but it was very obvious that they were in that room for three reasons. One was to do an event with Eric Erickson, who's kind of increasingly influential in the national GOP ecosystem. Um, Number two is because Georgia is, as Chris Christie called it, indispensable for a Republican who wants to win the White House. You have to win Georgia. There's no map for Republicans that does not include Georgia. And number three, and might have been even the biggest reason that a lot of those uh, candidates were there, was to get in front of Brian Kemp. It was really obvious the way they were talking about Kemp um, when they were doing their policides also with Kemp and setting up their meetings with Kemp. Um, Some of the questions to the other candidates were, why didn't you meet with Brian Kemp? It was very obvious that this was not an opportunity for Brian Kemp to make himself an attractive VP candidates to these people who were coming through Georgia It was an opportunity for them to win him over and try to get his support and his endorsement in the future ahead of the Georgia GOP primary. And Kemp's endorsement is not just important because he's a prominent Republican, but it's because he is a, according to polls, the most popular Republican in Georgia, which is a must-win state for Republicans in 2024. So stay tuned for that. But you just mentioned Chris Christie Um, on stage. He had a not so veiled hit against Donald Trump. Let's listen. How about we do this this time? We nominate someone <clears throat> who we know in our hearts will put the country first and not their self-interest first. We'll put your children and grandchildren ahead of their own children and grandchildren. And then backstage, he took it a step further. It doesn't matter whether it's criminal or not. On January 6th, I don't care, quite frankly, whether he's held criminally responsible or not. He's morally responsible for what happened on January 6th. And that's what I want to talk about. Patricia, most of the candidates we talked to either tiptoed around Donald Trump or or gave him backup. Chris Christie was a not-so-surprising exception. Yes, Chris Christie was no exception at all. Um, He was very well-received in the room. I wanted to see if the response in a GOP crowd would be antagonistic toward Chris Christie because he has taken such an incredibly aggressive line toward Donald Trump. He was very well received. So, th- but then we go out to the gaggle afterward, and he d- he didn't stop um, at those quotes. He said that Donald Trump um, has scrapped his press conference where he was supposedly going to be quote exonerated. Um, he said, "We all know that Donald Trump canceled that because he's scared. He's finally listening to his lawyers." And he's afraid if he says the wrong thing, which he will, he'll be one step closer to the jailhouse door. Mm -hmm. Um, He said that Donald Trump um, has been, he's like, this guy has now been indicted four times. When are we going to wake up and stop pretending like this is normal? It's, it looked as if this is Chris Christie's life's work is to go to every state in the country and just say this over and over for the Republican party, for Republican voters, and just say, You guys have just got to stop going down this road. Pick another one. It doesn't even have to be me, but just don't do this again. He also called Donald Trump a coward for his apparent decision to skip the debate on Wednesday. He seemed personally disappointed by this because this is a moment for someone like Chris Christie, who's polling at 
two, three, four, five percent of the vote, low single digits within the margin of error in some places. Uh, it seems like a moment for him to try to get out of the bottom of the pack by directly taking on Donald Trump. Me and you, our listeners, a lot of people who've been tuned into politics know Chris Christie's stance on Donald Trump, but millions of people are going to be watching this debate on Wednesday. And so it's a, a new opportunity, a new window for him to get more attention to his campaign. Yeah. And someone said, you know, what are you nervous about for the debate? Who do you not want to debate? Who do you want to debate? He's like, I'm not nervous about anything. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to spend my time. And Donald Trump cannot be our next president, whether he's on the debate stage or not. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the rest of the White House contenders who spoke in Georgia this weekend. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Your hosts, Greg Bluestein and Patricia Murphy. We're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, a couple quick programming notes. One, we always talk about the Morning Jolt. Well, we've mentioned this before, but we have a new Morning Jolt editor, so you can sleep slightly later in the That's morning. That's right. From 4 to 4.30. <laughs> it's been more like 3.30 to 4, 3:30 and to 4. I will take every minute. Thank God. His name is Adam Van Bremer. <laughs> We're going to introduce you to him on the show uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. He is also our de facto Savannah Bureau Chief. Why de facto? He is our Savannah is, Bureau Chief. For whatever reason, the, the the announcements didn't say that. So I've just been I guess that's that. not what we're calling him, but he lives and works in Savannah and yeah. he's gonna write stories about the Savannah. coast and that area and Savannah. So that's what yeah. <laughs> what what should we call him? Like a Savannah Bureau Chief, maybe? I mean, I'm that's what I'm that's what I'm calling him. <laughs> anyway, he's terrific. Tons Morning. of experience, <laughs> tons of experience in politics, business. Obviously, long time with the Savannah Morning News, very well known and respected all across the state, not just in Savannah, where he might be the bureau, the bureau chief. chief. And so for Jolt leaders, for Jolt readers, you've seen our three bylines, me, Patricia, and Tia Mitchell. You're now seeing a fourth one, Adam Van Brimmer, and that is why. Um, another programming note, of course, is we are still gearing up for the fall debut of our new expanded Politically Georgia podcast with Tia Mitchell and the great legendary, I guess we always have to preface his name with legendary, Bill Nygut, uh, who is uh, joining us. They're not here this weekend because we were manning the uh, the conference together, Patricia, uh, but they will be back on the show next week and for weeks to come. Yes, absolutely. There is so much Georgia politics. We decided that you that's just not a two-man job. That's a four-man job. <laughs> and now we've got our two men, two women, 
which is as good as Sixman in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So plenty more news on the AJC front to come. We are expanding and we can't wait to bring you all that. Okay, Patricia, uh, we are back to the gathering conference. We've talked about Governor Kemp and Chris Christie. You know, it's interesting. Vivek Ramaswamy, he was one of the candidates we were really interested in watching because he's in third place in so many polls around the country behind DeSantis and, and Trump. So one, one of the Republican activists in the room pointed this out to me. He, he noticed when Vivek spoke, he was the only candidate to get ovations after just about every answer. Here's a sample of what he was saying. I think the way we get to national unity is by actually embracing the radicalism, the extremism of the American founding ideals themselves. Free speech, open debate. Patricia, you were watching the faces in the crowd as much as you were watching Vivek Ramaswamy. What, what did you take away? So Vivek Ramaswamy is someone to watch for sure. He is a really fresh voice. So he, as a result of the fact that he's not coming out of years and years in professional politics, he has very different answers, very fresh, even language. The way he talks is sort of this edgy optimism. It, it is talking about hope, but talking about extremism and radicalism in the exact same sentence. And it is ex- very effective in that room. Um, he uh, talks about in his uh, stump speeches, woke smoke. He says that's what um, liberals and progressives have been sort of casting over the country um, to fill the void in the American soul that has been left by an absence of um, a lack of faith, a lack of character, a lack of a lack of community, and a lack of patriotism. And for a Republican Party, very clearly looking for its way, it's almost like sort of like a person in the dark looking for the light switch. He kind of feels like a light switch. He also happens to be 38 years old. Um, and he reminds me a lot of Donald Trump in 2015 because he has this language that people pop up and pay attention to. He doesn't look or sound like anybody else. And when I was leaving this conference, somebody, uh, this gentleman who was driving a Hummer, a Hummer um, like pickup truck, I've never seen one of those before. And he just yells across the, the um, yells across the street, did you see Vivek? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he had, he was asking, had I seen Vivek Ramaswamy? He's like, I heard he was here. I wish I had seen him. And I said, well, what do you like about him? And this is not a political person, but this is someone who has heard of Vivek Ramaswamy standing on Peachtree Road um, on a Saturday morning in Atlanta. And he said, he said, all that stuff about get the government out of my life, that's for me. And he, Vivek Ramaswamy has made a huge impression on him. Um, he also done, he does a ton of media. So above and beyond stumping all around the country, he does MSNBC. He did Simone Sanders show on MSNBC. He mm-hmm. does Fox News. He'll do anything with a camera, any kid with a camera, he will talk. And it's, he's rising very, very quickly. So he's someone to pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, it's funny about that. We were told in the room that there is a flight delay out of New York or whatever, which might be true, but we, we were Not also, there might, have been, there might have been a flight <laughs> well, delay. Well, two things, but, yes. But we definitely were watching Vivek Ramaswamy on Fox News as he was supposed to be giving his speech. <laughs> to, and so he was, I think, at the studio right down there in Midtown as he was coming in to give his speech in Buckhead. Um, Patricia, we just talked about how energized the crowd was when Ramaswamy spoke. There was a slightly different atmosphere um, earlier in the conference when former Vice President Mike Pence spoke. 
I believe America is the leader of the free world, the arsenal of democracy. I, I, I frankly hear the former president and other candidates in the field wanting to pull back from American leadership, whether it be in Eastern Europe or confronting Iran or the balance. On the national debt, as I said, the former president's position is identical to Joe Biden's and others in the field want to walk away from confronting the debt crisis that's facing our children and grandchildren. I won't do that. Mike Pence is not the sort of the candidate you're going to go to to get riled up necessarily or like Vivek Ramaswamy, but he was painting an implicit contrast between him and the former president. He wasn't talking about the indictments. He steered clear of that doing a speech, but he wanted to show that on key policy issues, him and Donald Trump differ, whether it be abortion, whether it be national security, as he said, pulling back from the world stage, uh, whether it be domestic policy initiatives. He just wanted to show that he's different from his former political boss. Yeah, and he wasn't, he did not light up the room, but he was not booed. I've certainly read accounts of Mike Pence getting booed by Republican voters. That was certainly not the case, but it kind of feels like Mike Pence wants a do-over. He kind of wants one more chance to say, this is who I am, and this is who I've always been, and I'm not just Donald Trump's former vice president. So laying out all of these policy positions that he said, uh, you know, this is where I've differed from him all along. Um, now, he didn't say that as vice president, but he was getting he was not getting paid as vice president to stand up and say what he doesn't like about Donald Trump. Um, but he was very, very relaxed, very confident in a gaggle afterward. And again, these gaggles are elective. They don't these these candidates did not have to come out and talk to reporters. But Mike Pence certainly did. He certainly knew he would be asked about Donald Trump. And he said, the one thing I want Americans to know is that on January 6th, I did my duty and I stood up for the Constitution of the United States. And one other thing that Mike Pence has emphasized in recent days is that Georgia's 2020 election was not rigged or stolen. That is something that Donald Trump has renewed. It's not like he, it's just new from Donald Trump. He said this for years, but he's renewed those lies after the Fulton County indictment. So his former, uh, his former running mates, his former VP is out there saying, just like Governor Kemp, just like other Georgia Republicans have been saying for years, they're saying that, nope, that is a lie from the former president. Let's move on. Let's focus on 2024. Okay, Patricia, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis gets knocked a lot for his robotic, very buttoned-down approach, his laughs, his, his, his mannerisms on the campaign trail, um, especially when it comes to rallies. But I think this, this format suited him better He was in a one-on-one conversation. Each of these candidates were in one-on-one conversations with Eric Erickson. And to me, he just seemed more relaxed. Um, He still got his points out, his talking points out. Let's let's listen. I am not like some of our our other Republicans from the past, just content to like cut taxes and have a good business environment and then let the left use rest of society as their personal little playpen. I don't let that happen in Florida. They are not going to just take over our schools and use our schools as an instrument to impose their agenda. We are not going to do that. Patricia, he did seem to me at least a little bit more, you know, toned down, um, but also got a very warm reception from that crowd. He is the number two choice for a lot of Republicans um, in that room, at least, but also in Georgia, he's polling and second behind Donald Trump. But not necessarily within striking distance. We'll see if that, we'll see. We have an AJC poll coming out in the next couple of days, but we'll have more. But at least in a strong second position where he can be 
seen credibly as Donald Trump's top rival. Yeah, he seems to be really benefiting from low expectations by, at least by the people in that room. A number of people I talked to said, well, wow, he wasn't nearly as bad as I thought he was going to be. I'm like, well, that's great. Um, I mean, there are, for people who don't know why this is the thing, there are photos of Ron DeSantis on the trail where when he he laughs, it looks like he's about to swallow swallow a watermelon. I mean, it is like, I don't know how his jaw gets on that wide. But so it has, those have gone viral. They have really caught on in the media and on Twitter and social media. So it is, it has literally kind of damaged people's some people, excuse me, some people's opinion. It just sort of like his seriousness as a candidate. Is this a real candidate? Is this a real person? Um, it, during his speech, he talked a great deal about Florida, of course, but in a Georgia, and you know, in a Georgia audience, all of the things that he listed about Florida, Georgia typically did about six months to two to three years earlier. So I stayed open. You know, I opened up for COVID. Well, Georgia opened up earlier. Um, you know, I uh, passed this school about CRT in schools. Uh, Georgia did that earlier. So there are a number of uh, issues where it didn't quite land that hard with a Georgia audience. But I think he was well received. Um, he certainly is still uh, way, way out front. He's perceived as being a strong candidate. He's perceived as being the number two candidate in this race. I didn't hear a lot from DeSantis that made him like explosive as an option or an alternative, but I think he did well. You know, I think he did well. It's, it was, it's hard looking back to remember exactly what he said. That was so different from the other candidates. Some of these other candidates are just so vivid and, um, you know, sticky is the word that I use that you just remember what they said. Tim Scott had a lot that you Mm -hmm. remember. Vivek Ramaswamy, of course, even Mike Pence was saying things that we have not heard before consistently on a national stage. So I do think that DeSantis is going to have to kick it up a notch um, in order to really continue um, to regain momentum um, that he's lost a little bit over the last couple of months. And another thing, DeSantis has struggled to respond or figure out a way, a strategy to approach Donald Trump's criminal uh, indictments. You know, sometimes he says that it's a politicization of the Justice Department and that we should all be shocked by. Other times uh, he says it's one more reason that Republicans should consider an an alternative. Uh, On Friday when he spoke to the conservative activists in Atlanta, he just, without mentioning Trump's name, talked about static that is going to distract Republicans of the mission of defeating Joe Biden in 2024. Okay, Patricia, you mentioned Senator Tim Scott. He showed up ready for a brawl. I look forward to that kind of conflict because I want to resolve the issue. You don't have to be an exception if you're an African-American to succeed in this world. All you have to do is go as high as your character and your grit and your hard work will take you. Patricia, he's in the bottom of a lot of polls, including here in Georgia, but he's someone who is gaining some traction in the early voting states who could turn some heads on Wednesday's debate. Yeah, and he was so well received in that room. When people, when audiences see Tim Scott and hear him speak at length, and most people have not heard him speak at length, they just gravitate to him so quickly. Um, and that, of course, those are conservative Republican audiences that I'm talking about. But those are the groups of people that he's going to need to come over to his side. I would say his name ID is not super high. People know a little bit about him, but not a lot. The more voters hear about him, the more they like him. And so that presents a huge opportunity for somebody like um, Tim Scott in these early states that still have 
really quite small voting populations, it is literally possible in Iowa and expected to meet almost every caucus goer. You've certainly been to their hometown, even if you haven't met them personally. New Hampshire is very much the same. You can cover a ton of territory in New Hampshire in a short period of time. So Tim Scott feels like somebody who has a lot of potential and a lot of room to grow in this um, in this uh, environment. And he performed very, very well. And I think it was important to him to leave those voters thinking, this isn't just Tim Scott, what a nice guy. This is Tim Scott can make the case for Republicans, and he might be the best messenger for Republicans, that this is the opportunity um, of for, he might make the best case for Republicans to create a vision of this as the party of the future and not the past. And then there's former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, also a former UN ambassador, who laid down the gauntlet to the conservative crowd. Now, I would love to tell you that Biden did that to us, but I've always spoken in hard truths. Our Republicans did that to us, too. You look at that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill that they passed with no accountability whatsoever. They expand welfare that now gives us 90 million Americans on Medicaid, 42 million Americans on food stamps. And did Republicans try and make it right? Nope. They doubled down and opened up earmarks for the first time in 10 years, passing through 7,000 of them last December. A real outsider's message from the former cabinet member attacking her fellow Republicans for what she says, basically financial malfeasance, letting runaway debt spending go uncontrolled. Yeah. And she has the job to convince voters that she's more than just a former governor and more than just a former uh, secretary to the UN under Donald Trump. And you could feel her really working to make that case. And she said, I have the domestic experience. I have the international experience. Um, Her husband also has recently deployed as a member of the National Guard for a full year deployment. And she talks really effectively about that. She's very deeply steeped in military and veterans issues as a result of that as well, as well as being the former head of the South Carolina National Guard as the governor, of course. So she, um, I think, uh, did really, really well. I talked to Republicans in that room after her speech. They said, yeah, I liked her. I I don't know if I see a president, but I liked her. You know, I think um, she needs to do more to light up that room. Um, But she's very well respected. Um, You can both see why she's a little bit low in the polls um, and what she could do to grow her share. But she's got to do it quickly because for these candidates, as they get closer and closer to Iowa, um, they're going to need to show that their campaigns have legs, that they have a lot of growth potential and the ability to come out of Iowa and continue as a serious national candidate. Um, Otherwise, they're just not going to have the money to continue. Um, A quick sidebar, Vivek Ramaswamy um, is self-funded. He has said that he would spend up to $100 million of his own dollars. Many millionaires go higher than their original budget. So you can you can assume he would spend more than that to get himself not just out of Iowa and New Hampshire, but further. So he's got a little extra X factor that he's, he's going to be around for a while in this campaign, as long as he wants to, because he can certainly afford to. Get ready for the ads, Georgians, right before the March 12th primary here. Uh, Patricia, the clock is ticking, as you mentioned. Uh, and that brings us to the last segment in Eric Erickson's The Gathering that we should talk about, which is two non-presidential contenders that had lots of uh, tongues wagging, I guess is a good way to put it. Uh, Governor Brian Kemp, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin shared the stage in the final 
act of the program. Um, both of them have been gotten overtures, been recruited by senior Republican officials and, and GOP donors over the last few months because they both can win really competitive battleground territories. And in Youngkin's case, a blue, a blue state in Virginia, um, they both also uh, or have been at odds with Donald Trump. Kemp much more than Youngkin, but Youngkin you know, famously basically told Donald Trump to stay out of his state during his election campaign. And they both have what they think is a blueprint uh, to win in a competitive battleground by focusing on education and the economy. In Youngkin's case, it was really targeting pandemic-era policies that upset a lot of parents in Virginia. Yeah, it has to be also noted that Glenn Youngkin and Brian Kemp are wearing the exact same outfit. <laughs> you know, we were like, I did do hashtag twinning. Um, they didn't just look alike. They sounded alike. They acted alike. Time they talked alike. Time. They used almost the same words. Uh, you know, if you're looking for an alternative to Brian Kemp, Glenn Youngkin would be your man. <laughs> they are the same person. A little, a little height differential. Oh, there, a but... bit of a, it was a little kind of a mini me moment well, for him. Youngkin <laughs> said that his, they were both wearing also uh, almost identical cowboy boots. And Youngkin yes. said his cowboy boots were like size 14 or something. Oh, really? Or he's huge. a tall man. I'm he's 13, a tall drink of water. He's got, he's got, he's got me by a couple inches in a shoe size or two. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Thank you for that. But I think what's real, the most important about thing about these two guys is that they know how to win. And so if you have some anxiety about the Republican Party in 2024, that's probably well-placed. I mean, there's a lot going on. But 2028, 2026, beyond this election cycle, this is the future of the Republican Party on these stages. And um, they have... Glenn Youngkin, Brian Kemp, not just knowing how to win. Brian Kemp in particular is so popular with the conservative grassroots. So this is the model. And as, oh, in fact, we have a picture of them high-fiving each other. They just look as happy oh, as just. <laughs> and they basically have, I, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I knew they were wearing both blue jackets. But, I mean, it's yeah, like they could yeah. not be happier with themselves. <laughs> They're having the They're best time. Wearing, they like each other a lot. You can tell also. And remember, Glenn Youngkin came down to Georgia and stumped for, for Brian Kemp. <laughs> Um, they they got along really well doing that event too. It was up in the Alpharetta suburbs. Um, this was an area where you know Glenn Youngkin's message really worked well in the Washington suburbs. The that used to be um, a lot redder and then became bluer into the Trump era, and now could be a little bit more competitive than it was. That was why Governor Kemp asked Glenn Youngkin to come to help him in 2022 in Alpharetta and Roswell and, and that that part of that neck of the woods where his message might be more effective. Uh, one thing he said that I found really interesting is he said that Brian Kemp's 2022 re-election was the first edition of the playbook that he hopes to replicate in Virginia. He can't run for another term. In Virginia, you're limited to one term as governor, but he could have other ideas down the road, but we do not think it's president. <laughs> we don't want to stoke those, fan those flames any more than national outlets. Well, at happening. least not in 2024. At least not in 2024. Yeah. Yes, but the rest is TBD. Yeah. In fact, it's all TBD. Everything is TBD. And and I might get some calls saying, hey, Kemp hasn't ruled it out yet for 2024, but he said that any more candidates jo joining the field would only help Joe Biden. So we'll, we'll take that as, as, as it is. <laughs> That is all the time we have for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Don't forget, anytime you have a question or comment, anytime, 3 a.m. in the morning, you name it, you can call producer Jay Black's direct cell phone number. Or Shane. 
or Shane or, or especially Shane, have, he says. Have, birthday Shane. Happy birthday, Shane. They have the same phone number. It's 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. They will patiently jot down your question and we'll answer it on Friday's episode. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever big news breaks. I'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.